Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Are you going to do an intro for it? Uh, or are we just going to free base? We're just going to free base here? I can always add you later, but I'll start with the normal thing. Your normal thing you're doing that you normally do on all your things? Yeah, my normal thing. Hey there, friends of failure, and welcome to this guy's episode. This guy. This week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I'm here with my friend, Chris Seffrin. Chris, how are you doing? You know, I feel pretty good, uh, all things considered. And uh, I'm a very happy person to be glad to be alive every day. That sounds cheesy, but uh, I totally believe that. Especially I'm recently, given what happened. Yeah, we can get into that in a minute, because a week ago... Actually, six days ago, I missed two days of my life because I got drugged in Guadalajara, Mexico by some devious young women. And uh, there's about 14 hours of my life that I can't remember. And then uh, the, about the, another 12 hours that are a little vague. Are you done fixing all those problems? Like they took your phone, but you've got a new phone. They took stuff that you won't get back. But other than that, are you right as rain? Are you shook? What's your current uh, mental status? Uh, You know, it's funny as after, uh, you know, I've ran, I've been like an independent businessman my whole life. I ran nightclubs, bars, and restaurants for 20 years. Plus, I was in entertainment for 20 years. We managed rock bands and we had a music publishing company. We used to do part of the production at Soldier Field for huge shows. So I kind of like... I'm a lot chiller than you would imagine when any crazy things happen. Especially like, when it's over, when the heat of the moment. And well, the like just, it's, I feel like, I, I honestly, I feel like if you run nightclubs or you have been like on, like on tour with rock bands and stuff, like when you do things like that, I, I sort of feel like you're, you're in this little fraternity of uh, people that are either like, you know, like people that are in the, the military to me, like if you've been like if you've been in the Marines or something, or if you've been like an EMT and you work the night shift oh, at a yeah. hospital, like to me, you've seen so much real life that you, to me, like when I run the nightclub for 20 years or being in rock and roll or entertainment and stuff, it's like you've just seen so many like out of the normal things mm-hmm. that you've had to deal with. Well, back the uh, first time I was a tour manager. You were a multiple time tour manager. No. Okay. This one time I was the Got tour it. manager for a band called Pig Face. It was this all-star industrial metal band with these guys and we had a band. Were you the inspiration for the band name? No. <laughs> there uh it was uh Martin Atkins. This guy had a had a record label in Chicago and he came up with this Pig Face and it was guys like we uh, we had we were managing a band called Skinny Puppy which is like a very seminal band. They're, uh-huh. they're the band that made Trent Reznor want to start Nine Inch Nails, okay? Wow. Like these guys were like... Skinny Puppy. Skinny Puppy. Either you've never heard of them or people go, oh my God, Skinny Puppy? I wore a Skinny Puppy t-shirt to the gym one time and I had a guy like follow me around all day long begging me to buy it from me because he was a big Skinny Puppy fan. They have a very never devoted fan base. But I'm going to get a Skinny Puppy shirt. Well, go look sure. into it. Go look into it. But anyway, to give you an example of how I operate, I, I was the tour manager because Ogre was uh, the guy from Skinny Puppy was on this tour. So they needed somebody to like, you know, go around and just run the tour. So it was me and Jolly, this guy, we ran the tour. Our first show was in Denver. 
Mm-hmm. We get on the bus in Chicago. We drive to Denver and we're playing in that old, there's like an old state theater or something downtown. I forget which. Fillmore? Which, or something? I don't remember. It was like an old theater kind of thing. So check this, so check this out. Like I'm the tour manager. This is my first show. The, the tour was booked by Martin. Like he did the whole what thing. What does a tour manager do, I guess? Just a tour manager is the forms. guy that like is making sure that the trains run on time. Like mm-hmm. my job would be, I have to pay everybody once a week. I handle all the money. I settle the shows. Like each time I meet with the promoter, we count up the tickets. There's uh-huh. like advance money. And then there's make sure a, the artist gets to the stage and stuff. Like yeah. That. Like we got to make sure there's a load in all of our stuff's ready. Like I get a hotel room. If we're getting hotel rooms, I got to pay them. Like I got to pay the bus driver. Cause that dude is very yeah. important. Yes. Yeah, as soon as they, as soon as the band walks on stage, my work is done except for that. I go with the promoter and we settle the money. It was cool and interesting. I was like young, you know, man, I was like 26 or 27 years old or something like that. So we go to this, we go to Denver. Uh, the band goes on. They're playing. You know, it's this loud, you know, rock metal. You know, and I'm sitting in the tour man or in the uh, promoter's office mm-hmm. in the theater, right? So we're like in sitting in a place like this where we're at right now, and like yeah. we're just sitting there, you know, and we're counting up how much money they owe me, and right. And so there's a knock on the door. And this guy comes in and he goes, you the pig face guy? And I go, yeah. He goes, uh, your, your bus is on fire. I go, what? Uh-huh. I go, our bus is on fire? And he goes, yeah, your bus is on fire. And then he just walks off like he just told me that like, you know, my Taco Bell order just showed up. You know what I mean? Or like he's just going to go. Like not, he just not left. watch it burn at least. Well, he didn't run in and yelling this. He goes, hey, are you the dude? Uh, your bus is on fire. And so I looked at the promoter. The promoter looked at me. There was about a, about a one second silence and I looked at him I go we probably should go look into that I'm the kind of person that does not freak out about things so we went outside and what happened was the generator caught you have two generators on a bus like those big tour buses and one of them caught on fire and was blowing a bunch of smoke out of there which then we had to stay in Denver for two days and fix the bus Mm -hmm. and then we were behind so we had to then we had to drive all the way to San Francisco but that's just give you an idea of like like to me, I'd be like, oh yeah, by the way, I got drugged in uh, Guadalajara, Mexico and these chicks stole my phone. You know, it's like, uh, to pretty me, it was like that your bus is on fire, right? I'm pretty chill. Yeah. Like people be like, hey man, there's a guy downstairs with a gun. I'm like, eh, we should probably leave. Okay. Leave. So when do you lose your chill? Is there scenarios where you can't control? Like, are there certain things that set you off where you would explode? Uh, you have to be like personally, like, like in my ass what about or something. Like a ba- crying baby on a plane. Or like, uh, is there anything that's super annoying to you that you just, or road rage? I don't know. There might be some scenarios where you're not cool. No, that. well, I've gotten a lot better because I, I hate inefficiency. So like when okay. I see people that are like, if you're at the airport and you're trying to do something and then like, but they have it organized so poorly that you're like, it's butt obvious that this is <laughs> stupid. They tell a lot of you, there's all these dumb things that happen in life where you go, Hey, I want to, I'm going to stand here. And they go, sir, you can't stand here. You got to stand there. And you're like, well, why do I got to stand there? I can't stand here. I don't get it. So I used to be the guy that would argue with a person about how stupid it was that you can't stand here. But now I've gotten to the point where I just go, well, that's ridiculous. So I'm just going to go and stand there what he says and just move along with my life. I forget who it was, but the guy said, he goes, they came to me and they said, sir, you can't stand in front of a fire exit because if there's a fire, you're blocking. And he goes, if there's a fire, I'll be the first one to open this door. We don't need to tell me to move out of the way. And I want to hear about your comedian. I did. I did stand. I did stand up for two, two years. I want it to be all real stories. I don't want it to be like 
where I know it's fake. Oh, and I was, you know, yesterday I was doing this thing and it wasn't. Really well, well, that, a lot of guys, there are comedians that can just make stuff up like that because they're making a joke out of a premise. But typically, most of the guys that are that you would like, you know, that you like, that yeah. you think are really good, like Bill Burr, Dave Chappelle, like or Bellish, Chris Rock, or anything, no, what they do is they're very, very particular observers of, of life. Mm-hmm. And what happens is they'll go about their daily life and then something will happen. And what they'll do is they'll take that thing that happened and they'll turn it into 20 or 30 minutes of like ironic, funny things that are mm-hmm. around that. Like this is what we I was talking about with Elon today at lunch because he ha, he was he's going to be in this show tonight doing some stand up. Yeah, I'm excited for it. So I'm excited to see what he's going to say because we were ta- I was kind of helping him in my own way, giving him some ideas for bits. But he's going to do whatever he's going to well, do. So I've always wanted to do stand up. My problem is it's hard for me to get up. Well. I've never gotten on stage, but if I did, to tell the same story as if it was new and with the same level of enthusiasm, I would feel like a, like I'm just a one-trick pony, but you really got to get good at the one uh, Well, you, you clearly haven't done it. The reason I'm saying that is, is because until you've walked up on a stage and they hand you a microphone and they go, here's Ben. Yep. He's next up is Ben from Denver. And they hand you a microphone and there's silence. Maybe they clap for you. It doesn't even matter if they give you a standing ovation. Immediately, you have to sit there. They all look at you like you're a bug in like some <laughs> kind of like science experiment. Like this they is look why at I you. It, by the way. No, but do you understand what a moment of terror that is for like right there? Because when I was doing stand up, I, when I started telling people like, you know, like I was owning these bars, right? Yeah. In Kansas City and pe- I had people go, hey, Chris, what are you doing? And I go, well, I've been doing stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think they said to me? Tell 100%. Me yeah, they're but, like, what, tell no, me something I've funny. I've got a joke about this. But my joke is if you're doing stand-up comedy, people want you to do it for them right then. But as if you said like, you know, I'm a, I'm doing plumbing. I'm going to be a plumber. And they're like, hey, fix this pipe right now and, and show me how you fix it. And then they criticize every piece of it. And they're like, I'm just starting. I'm not going to, I don't have shit to just give you. And also like, that's such a weird demanding thing. There's no other job where they're like, well, oh, prove it. <laughs> no, you're right. There's, you, there's a good bit. You could do a good bit around that. Okay. Because that is funny and that is real. Okay. Because funny is, funny is an involuntary reaction. Like you can't make somebody laugh. That's impossible. Mm-hmm. The only way you make someone laugh is is convince them to laugh themselves. No, it, it's a thing that just occurs. Like what happened is is like you're listening to someone talk and you think they're gonna say this or you think they're gonna do that or you think mm-hmm. they meant this and then they they do a misdirection. That's what I love. And then you go ah, like like it just comes out of you. Yeah. Like you like that's why like laughter when that laughter is happening when a comedian's really nailing it and he's on a roll, that guy like owns that room. Like you know what I mean? He's like yeah. he owns these people. He could sell them all for 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 cash money. Well, but when it's not working, a, it's boy, it's death and there's destruction. No other, there's no other job where every 20 seconds or so they're judging you. And if you're not producing, like you get immediate feedback if you're not doing well because they're not laughing. It's I think it's, then, I think it's the hardest thing in the world. But but there's no other job where, the, where you're getting that much criticism from people who can't do it themselves. Yeah, because the people are like basically like they expect you to be excellent 
and yeah. you and continuously excellent. Yeah, you need to be making and me they laugh sit the whole there, time. They, people can't see me because uh, you know we're not on video, but they kind of have this look to them like crossed arms, kind of defensive looking, and they're mm-hmm. like, "What yeah. do you got?" They're always skeptical at first until you bust through with some comedy. Well, you have to control the room somehow. Now, when a guy who's famous like Bill Burr comes up there, yeah. everybody's watched him his specials a bunch of times so they know his personality sure those guys come out there and they just go hey everybody what's going on and they're like bill burr people are so excited to see the guy right and but wait three minutes later if he isn't starting to be funny they're like man what happened to bill burr used to be good i I liked his last special man he's not funny now he sucks you get no credit you get zero credit for anything you did before but also you don't know if something's funny until you say it into a whole crowd. Like mm-hmm. it could be funny to you, but until you say it, you don't know. So also they have to bomb even at their level. They have to continue to just try things and see what works. Yeah. Those guys are, they're, they're good enough that they don't bomb bomb unless they have like a I mean, crowd like that's a, like uh, violently like ridiculous. I mean like a missed joke or like one that just didn't go over that well. Well, no, what they do is, is that that's when they practice in the comedy clubs. But what they'll do is, is like, they know there's like something like you're like, there's a nugget in this thing here. Yeah. Right. And so you like, you have a nugget there where you're like, well, this is the only job in the world where you, you have to prove that you know what you're doing, yeah. right? But the question is, you had a plumber thing. Mm-hmm. So if you're a real working comedian, you'd go to the comedy store on, on Sunday night and you'd do 20 minutes, and you'd, but you'd use plumber the first time. And then you see like next night you'll use like uh, architect or something. Well, there's certain words. Well, is the architect funnier. funnier than the plumber? I heard certain like K or hard like consonant sounds can be funnier like chicken uh, and stuff like that there's, i don't there's know words that just work better i think it was gary gullman had like a thing of like the funnier well that guy words. has a whole thing about syntax of words and stuff he's, he's a like very a, he's a very brainiac kind of comedian he did like a twitter thing where he's got like 300 plus tips on comedy. how to be a comedian yeah and i gotta read it because one of my comedian friends from clubhouse uh told me and he's done like three thousand likes or whatever so he he's putting his time and he's like the best thing I would ever suggest you look at is Gary Goldman's Twitter, uh, and it was like somehow, like if you wanted to be if, if you wanted yeah, to be like a comic, these are all the things you should know. Yeah, because the the real trick is um, you have to be an observer of life, and you have to present. You find a nugget of of interestingness, and but it depends on where you're coming from. Are you wanting to be more like you know uh, like slapsticky, like outrageous or something? Driven. And so, because like what I'll do is practice what I would call comedy just by telling the same story over and over to different people seeing what parts make them laugh and whatnot doing like it on a small scale to try to see if something's funny and then hopefully see because my thing dumbass wants to skip straight to when I have a Netflix special because I don't want to do all the other stuff but figure I know it, I figure it'll take you 10 years to be good I know my point no is, I'm kidding I'm not kidding I know you're not kidding I did it for two years and I, I realized like how far I had to go and I was pretty good I got up, up the first time and like I I killed it the first but night I ever did it so my buddy Pat from Clubhouse he he does like 700 mics a year like so he's doing it fast I, I gotta do something like that where I speed it up because I cannot wait 10 years no it's still 10 years well what if you, if you do one a week versus seven a week no no it doesn't matter you're gonna because it's just how long before you can find like you like because you have to find a voice it's like it's like being a musician or something. There's like a voice as a writer, you know what I yeah, mean? Sure. And like you have to write like thirty crappy books before you find this voice where you you're you and people can sure. feel you through the book. You and know they what can I mean? Get it. Well, because you walk up there 
And it's like you got 10 minutes or five minutes and they don't know you. You know what I mean? Like, so you have to, you you have to so well. It's like, and you assume sometimes people might know a little bit about you, but then they always never know anything. Well, listen, after 20 years in the bar business, see, I'm, I'm a, I'm a really funny guy. Okay. I I am. I'm laughing. Well, when I, I was just at the Kentucky Derby and I was sitting at the bar, you know, just like having a drink and I like to talk to people. So I was talking to these couple of cup. Yeah. There was two uh, like couples, you know, like two guys and two women that were all ma- married mm-hmm. couples. And I started talking to them and I have this weird way of this kind of cadence of how I'll describe a story. Well, I'll, well, I'll be like, well, listen, I was talking to this guy and, you know, honestly, this guy wasn't quite right, but he was standing at a certain angle. You know, it's like in a way I'll describe the whole thing is mm-hmm. funny to people. Like I can just tell like the way that I'm telling it to them is funny. And I was talking, I talked to about, I don't know, 20 or 30 people over the course of two days at the Derby. Five different people go what do you do for a living? Are, are you a comedian? No, they asked me that because like I was cracking them up because like when, when I would get a little roll about something, yeah. well, cause you know, I was just talking about relationships cause the, these two women were standing there and I was tell, trying to tell them like, I go, these guys I'm with are wanting to meet girls. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, there, I said, guys are always making mistakes cause they try to think like a guy. Yeah. I said, if you want to have a girl or a girlfriend or a date or something, you need to think like a woman. And they go, and I go, not like, and I go, not why they made that. Yeah, he was dressing as a woman and everything. Nobody could hear what they thought. Oh, that's right. I'm thinking of something else. Robin Williams thing. This (laughs) is is doubtfire. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm talking about when he could hear their thoughts. Right. And then he started doing whatever they would say. Yeah. yeah. Or whatever. Well, but what I was, I was cracking these two women up because I said, look, I said to guys, I go, look, if you go to a party sometimes, think the next time you go to a party when there's like 30 or 40 people and maybe half of them are women and you're like maybe going, hey, are there any cute girls here that I want to talk to, right? Mm -hmm. You're a single guy and you're trying to meet a girl, right? I go, don't look around the room and go, which girl's the hottest and I'll try to talk to her. Just for fun, put yourself in the head of a woman Mm -hmm. that's at that party and look around at the guys and try to see which one you would pick to go out with. It's a really, really crappy selection most of the time. And these two women were just dying laughing when I told this story. And they told me, they go, we were just talking about how we're so glad that we found our husbands because we look around at all these guys and we're like, we would never find another husband because they, they said all the guys they meet are boring. It wasn't that they weren't good looking enough uh-huh. or, you know, didn't have enough money because guys think I need to be tall. I got to be good looking. I got to have money and stuff. Yeah. And the women are like, we want, no, we want to laugh. We want, we want you to be interesting, have personality. And like they, to them and with the way we were, I described is like, there's a, like a spark in the eye. Like that guy's going to, he's doing stuff. Mm-hmm. He's got opinions and and he's going to make like things he's going to make and, things happen. He's not thinking, well, he's not just me. a bump on a log and there's another well, five guys sitting here that are just as boring as him. You know what I mean? When I see a woman anywhere, I just assume she got hit on by five guys in the past hour, no matter what. No, so, but do you understand how easy it is to stick out from a girl's yes, perspective? Yes, cuz they're so shitty, but they're also getting like constantly bombarded. Yeah, but to them that's background noise. That every day of, of your course, life as but, a cute as girl a man, there's guys constantly As offering man, you things we hit on though well no there's a thing in the internet that's going around right now where 
men get compliments yes, so few yep. times that guys remember like remember 12 years ago when that <laughs> woman complimented my shirt yeah it's because men never get compliments right it's insane women, and out women there get them all day if you're long. listening throw a compliment to a man you know yeah and we were trying to figure it out on twitter like why is that and I, we thought the the theory is Women think if they give compliments to guys that shows interest, the like they yeah, like it looks idea. like they're hitting on the guy accidentally, and then they don't want to have to like then t- tell mm-hmm. the guy, "No, I really did like your shirt. I wasn't trying it's to like, like make you're a conversation." At a, a car dealership, and like you ask about a car or whatever, and then they obviously think you want to buy that car when maybe you're just curious. Well, about guys, the car. guys are easily like uh, misled when they're dealing with women. You know, it's True. like, oh, dude, the, dude, this girl is in love with me. I'm and she's like, around. no, I don't even know who that guy is. Take a break. So by the way, this is going to be cut up through. Yeah. yeah. Well, we can always, okay. Yeah. And I tell you, we should pump this place up here because oh, uh, this place we, is we are, we are right now coming to you from Leavenworth, Kansas, where we have come up here uh, because a guy that I know, as re, he redeveloped this hotel out, it, this is an old high school. And we're sleeping in the principal's office. Yes, basically we're in the principal's office. And, and we're not in detention. No, and this is great. And then like this is the nicest principal's office that we've ever seen. Yeah. But they repurposed this place and it's beautiful. It's, it's got a little a bar. Idea. It's got a, the pool. It's got like, and it's got this thing where we're going to go see. They're going to see most of it. They're doing a comedy show down here. And we're, I'm not, I don't really know what... It is exactly, so I don't want to misdescribe it, but there's some kind of comedy show, and I think there's going to be some drag drag people involved in it. I'm excited. I, I, I love it, the fact that we have no idea what's going to happen in this show, um, so it's going to be fun. Yeah, so we'll report back afterwards. With what right. Happened. But at, at this current point, the fact that he took a high school and made it into a hotel... Unbelievable. I love I because love, a lot of people, a lot of real estate people, especially, especially rich ones, will just... Just bulldoze a place and make it into what? Well, it's the so hell much easier just want. to pour a piece of concrete and throw a stick-built piece of crap up there. Easier, that's what that's sure. what people do. But and like, there's two of them down the street. So much character in this well, place. Well, we drove by two of those on our way here, right? Marriott or whatever. Yeah, whatever we saw down the street. Yeah. But this has so much character; it's like overflowing. It's well, have you are you are you familiar with the the uh, idea of globo homo, global homogenization? means global homo meaning like flat. everywhere you go in the world they have the same stuff it looks the same it, exactly. is so that thomas what he's friedman, talking about thomas L. Friedman. i had to read it for fucking business i read school. that book okay yes we've we've spread so much that like now anything can be everywhere and so like there's a lot of copycat well, places that you don't even know where you're at well what's happened in the world is is if they open up like a five guys burger and fries and it works well then they open up five thousand of them guys yeah. And so then what happens is, and I used to make a joke when I was, one of my bits is I would say, look, you know, America, I love America and it's great. I said, but we got to be careful here. If, if I, if I had a plane and, and four army rangers and I threw a hood over your head, threw you on a plane and flew you to a suburb somewhere in America and took you the hood off and put you in a parking lot with a bed, bath and beyond and a, and a Chili's. I guarantee you, you have no idea what town you're in. This is because they all before. look exactly okay. the same, like all the pl- all of it. I used to work at a video game company, and we made the Beatles rock band. We had a launch party. I got blackout drunk. I wake up at a house, no idea what house it is. It was five forty-five a.m. I had to be to work at nine, so I I decide I'm not gonna like talk to anybody who lives there. I'm gonna just exit the house and start walking towards the T, the subway, because I assume it's somewhere nearby. 
45 minutes of walking later, I'm asking a jogger, what city am I in? He tells me I'm in Canton, Massachusetts, which I've fucking never been in my life. And it's like at the end of the subway line. I, I'm going to speed the story up because I get on the train. I get to work on time. Then I find out the, where I slept was a coworker's house. My car was there. He drove my car to his house. So I could have just fucking gotten to my car and drove to work. But instead, I walked away immediately didn't know what house i had come out of and then just started meandering because well that's just so I, that was we, basically putting myself in a random suburb like you're saying i was like basically well you couldn't yeah like um because there's very few places anymore where like like if you're in on the strip in las vegas you know you're on the strip in las vegas right sure. like if you're in the french quarter in new orleans you know you're in New oh, Orleans. Yes, I love the French Quarter. But if you're in like the suburbs of Memphis, Mem- if you're in the suburbs of Memphis or something, you could literally be in Memphis. You could be in Nashville. You could be in Dallas. You could be in Put Scottsdale. Me in a strip mall you can't even fucked. hardly tell unless there happens to be a mountain there, and you're like, well, yeah, then it might be nice Salt Lake City, but we're not sure. Well, like, Denver's well, which mountain is it? When I said I said it to uh, my friend today. I said or last night. I we went to see these band play. And it was really enjoyable because it's you were, like they the were, because they were mention of just generalization of the world. Right. That's the global homo with the point I was making last night. And I don't know who said this quote. You can look it up and maybe put it in the show no, notes. Pretend like it's yours. It's no, like no, I no I can, this, is fa- this is a famous <laughs> quote and you can't, I can't, okay, I'm not going to go ahead. This guy said something along the lines of, I'm probably paraphrasing. He said, without art and music, there is no reason to live. Okay. And that's a really important point if you think about it, because the only thing that feeds your heart and soul is creative endeavors like people making music or people, you know, painting things or, or whatever. Like every, you know, every different kind of people on the planet Earth always have music. I wanna, they always have some kind of style of I, music that's their re, music. Can I redo this quote into a different quote that's very similar? Sure. Without art and music... There's no life. That might be the quote. You have to look it up. You're saying there's no reason to live. I'm saying like that's not life because what we came to be is creatures of art, music, storytelling, creativity. And without that, I mean, it's not even a life. Right, because life force is creating things and, and expanding and doing things. And if without that, and so I think it's, there's a sort of a little danger in the modern digital world where everything is zeros and ones and it's all just digital and replicatable and, and scalable just each other. Yeah, yeah. And you know what I mean? And like, next thing you know, we're all a bunch of robots and see. So, but then the differentiator is the non-robots like me and you. Right. So something like repurposing this high school into a hotel to yes. me is like one of the highest purposes. I think that the people should aspire to. So I think the guys did a great job by doing this. Yeah. I love anything that takes creativity and just not knowing if it's going to work out. Cause that's, that's the failure thing. Fail so you nail it. Whatever the whole thing. It's more like step outside your comfort zone. Do something cool. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, but this is such a brilliant idea. You'd know it would work even before you did it. You know, yeah, maybe, but it's harder. It might not financially it's, work, it's harder, but it would work. I think the, it's harder, but it's worth it. So, like, that's all I got to say. It's harder, but it's worth it. Yeah, I'd say that for most creative endeavors, if you're doing the right thing. So let's cut because we got to go hit the show. We'll talk to you guys later. Okay, so this is going to be part one of the Chris Seffron episode. Next time, we're going to have Evo Ivanov joining in for a three-way session, and we'll see how that goes. Hope you enjoy. Would you like to be more efficient, productive, and confident in your work at the office? 
Over 750 million people worldwide use Excel, yet it's still a misunderstood and frequently misused tool. That's why I created Excel Exposure, so you can work smarter and not harder. The Excel Essentials course gives you over 5 hours of in-depth video lessons, plus it comes along with my master workbook which has every function, shortcut, and all the examples to follow along. Investopedia actually included my course in their list of 6 best online Excel classes of 2021, saying it's best for visual learners. As someone who's an expert in failure, I can certainly teach you and your team how to avoid spreadsheet failures and create bulletproof Excel documents. Use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access price. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and also my existing award-winning free training. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.